Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. Like I said last week, we're getting into a new series right now. We're just kind of taking a pause on John. And because we're, we're getting closer and closer to Easter all the time, I was, I was thinking it would be good for us to step back and actually focus on what it means to prepare for Easter. So the series that we're getting into is called Uncompromising. And during the course of the series, we're going to examine four characteristics that we consistently see in followers of Jesus throughout history, not just now in the churches that we live in, but all throughout the centuries since Christ was here on earth. So matter, no matter what time or what era someone lived in, genuine Christians displayed these character traits that we're going to talk about in this series with courage and willingness. The way of living for Jesus is a needed reminder for us today. Each week, we're going to look at the story of at least one person who lived their life for Christ in the face of incredible adversity and opposition, so much so that it often cost them their life. The goal of this series is, is not to glorify death or hardships, but to know, to understand, and to strive for the same heart that we see in people who follow Jesus in a faithful and uncompromising way. So over the next four weeks, we're going to open our hearts and our minds to what it means to be obedient to Jesus, to be unashamed and unafraid of the consequences or the results that come from following Jesus. We're going to learn about what bold and clear testimony looks like. And we're going to understand the attitude that people displayed when they, when they realized that the life that we have here on earth, this isn't it. This isn't the grand finale. This series, I believe, is going to be challenging, but I believe it's also going to be very encouraging. So I'm praying that we will be challenged to examine who we are as disciples of Jesus and better appreciate what it is that Christ is calling us to when he said, follow me. So this series is, is going to be four weeks of preparation uh, as we head into Easter weekend, and then we'll have more details about our Good Friday service and our Easter Sunday service here at CFC. So before we dive into this morning's message, let's pause and we'll pray together. Lord God, I, I thank you for the idea that we clearly see not only in Scripture, but specifically in your life and in the life of people who followed you despite the costs that it brought onto their life. I, I thank you for the idea of being uncompromising. I just pray, Father God, that that idea, that word is going to be burned into our hearts and that we're going to think, we're really going to think and examine who we are and say, well, am I uncompromising in everything? Am I uncompromising just in the things that I feel comfortable with? Or am I willing to give my all to Christ, to not hold back any part of my life from him, to live with boldness and courage in the face of incredible adversity? What do I value more, my life physically or my life spiritually? Lord God, these are some really good questions, and I believe that these things are going to be what we're going to have to answer over the next four weeks. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak into our hearts. We invite you into the conversation with us. We don't want to just speak about these things, but we actually want to interact with you. We need you more than we need Pastor Jeff. 
So, Father God, would you please come and enter in right now and help us to respond, help us to open our hearts, and to be ready to think and deal as you lead us to in our lives this morning. Amen. Okay, so this week we're going to start by talking about obedience. When I think about a a person that's uncompromising in their obedience, it makes me think of someone who knows what is required of them, and their, their aim in everything they do in their life with every ounce of their energy and time and abilities and resources and desires, they desire to stay within the parameters of what they are motivated to be obedient to. They want to do what is required of them by the authority that they are submitting to in their life. They don't want to disregard what they have been entrusted to do. So I'd like to share a story with you about a man who lived his life, in my opinion, based on total obedience to God. George Massey had, had been an elder in a Church of Pakistan congregation in Lahore, Pakistan. When he and his wife, Aniata had felt called to relocate their family to the small, predominantly Muslim, Muslim village of Manawala to plant a church, he willingly went. For two years, George pastored the church based in his home. Filled with the love of Christ, he ministered from house to house, reaching out to his neighbors and praying for the sick, even if they were Muslims. He and his wife became well-known in the village for the worship songs that could be heard pouring out of their house. Their desire was to know God and to make him known in their community. Their work drew the anger of a Muslim neighbor named Shokat Ali. Ali was irritated by the Christian meetings in the Masi home and urged the landlord to kick the family out. On more than one occasion, Ali threatened to kill George if he continued to preach. But George remained steadfast and faithful to his calling from God. Around noon on Friday, April 2nd, 2004, George and his wife and four children were watching the Jesus film in their home. When the movie finished, Aniata got up to go outside for a minute When she opened the door, two masked attackers burst in. One grabbed Aniata and covered her mouth, threatening her with death if she tried to cry out for help. The other attacker fired a shotgun point-blank at George's face. As the Christian man lay dying, the assailant hit him in the head with the butt of his gun. Then both men fled, dropping the stunned Aniata to the ground. Neighbors ran toward the home when they heard Aniata crying. Shokat Ali was one of the few neighbors that did not show up to offer help. George Massey had an unbounded love for the Lord and a deep compassion for people. His mark upon the community was immense, as evidenced by those gathered for his funeral. Around 300 people crowded into his brother's home to remember Massey, and and express gratitude for his life, including many Muslims who were blessed by his ministry. He was a true, passionate believer, said Pastor Mukhtar, the man who led George to Christ, and he always tried to win the souls of people with his preaching. A tough story to hear, but a remarkable one as well. So the question is this, what do we learn from the life of George Massey? In George, we see a man who was uncompromising in his desire to obey Jesus. You know, I wondered after reading this story, what possesses a man like George 
to leave a church situation in a, in a city that he was familiar with, with people that he was familiar with and comfortable with, to go and move to a strange new place hours away, to be around people that he didn't know, to minister with compassion to people that did not see eye to eye with him, to be threatened with death, and to continue to follow the call of God on his life, which ultimately cost him his life. What possessed him to follow through so obediently in all those situations? I think this question is important because if we discover the answer, we have a chance to have others look at our lives one day and remember us as obedient to the Lord, just like we're remembering George today. So this obedience to God that we see in George's life isn't just some strange phenomenon that's reserved for like a select group of super Christians. That's not it at all. No, the call for all followers is to obey God. And this call is made clear in the Bible. Friends, if you read something in the Bible, it's for you. Have you ever thought about that? Like sometimes we read the Bible and say, well, this is an interesting idea. I just don't know if this is for me or if this is just a fact or a cool story. No, like everything that God has written down in the pages of Scripture is for you. So we're going to read something about obedience here from the Bible, knowing that this is for us. And I'm sure that George Massey would have read passages similar to this and felt the uncompromising call to be obedient to Christ as a result. So today I want to read from Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 16. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, well, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey? It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, well, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. In verse 14, God is saying to his people, I have placed on your lips and in your heart the things that I'm asking you to obey. How you are meant to obey God, friends, is not a mystery. Sometimes people think, if I just knew what God wanted of me, I would gladly follow it. But the thing is, Jesus is so plain in how he communicates the will of God to us in the Gospels, in the Scriptures. God is all over the the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's obvious. It's right there. And not only is it in the Bible, but God's actually written these things on our hearts. He's given us desires to know who he is. So it's not a secret what God wants from us. God has made it plain to us for how he wants us to obey him. In verse 16, God details what obedience to him looks like. He says, love me, obey my commands and walk in my ways, which means live your life according to what I say is good. So let's take these three concepts, loving God, 
obeying his commands and living according to what he says is good. And we're just going to go a little bit further in depth with each of those this morning. So let's start by talking about obedience to Jesus. Because obedience to Jesus means loving him. In John 14, verse 23 and 24, Jesus replied saying, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words, are here, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus communicates about, about the relationship between love and obedience with absolute clarity in these two verses. Anyone, anyone who says that they love Jesus must be someone who obeys his teaching. Otherwise, they're a liar, right? We see the, we see the relationship here. If you love me, you will obey me. Anyone who doesn't love Jesus, it's clear because they don't obey him. It's actually very simple. Like this is a very straightforward concept. We can't say that we love Jesus if we have zero interest in obeying what he's asking us to do. And if we say that we love Jesus, yet we have no interest in following through on what his Bible is bringing into our lives as instructions for us to obey, we're only fooling ourselves, right? Jesus is making this point extremely clear. It's easy to see in George Massey's life that he loved God because he was compelled to, to do exactly what Jesus asked him to do. He complied with the, with the commands of God for him. So I see three things that need to happen in order for love and obedience to actually be tied together in the way that Jesus is presenting it to us this morning. When, when we truly love Jesus... I think we're first of all going to be interested in knowing him and all that he wants us to obey. We're going to want to be in church, for example, so that we'll learn and grow in our faith. Because this is what we do here. We, we worship God and we come and we're, we're compelled to move forward in our faith and not just be stagnant, right? We're here to serve one another and, and live out in obedience what God has asked us to do. We're going to want to know what kind of character and lifestyle and morals Jesus is promoting so that our lives can follow those things. So it's probably good for us to ask ourselves this question. And I want you to really think about this one. I'm going to let it hang in the air here for just a moment. Do I want to know Jesus? And do I want to know what he is teaching me to obey? If you think about that question and you answer it honestly, that's an indication already of the love that you have or want to have for Jesus, right? Do I want to know what Jesus has to say about how to live life? And do I want to obey it? If the answer is no, hope is not all lost because you can make that change. You can decide right here now, you know what, if I'm honest, I just want to go to church to make sure that everyone knows that I kind of am doing this Jesus thing, but I'm not really interested in having anyone check in on me the rest of the week. Because that's my life, okay? Get off my, get off my case kind of a thing. If that's where you're at, then just be honest about it. And then tell yourself, 
that you can change. Because if you want to change, if you want to obey, if you want to love Jesus, this is what it's going to take, right? We can't live a double life. But if you say to yourself, yeah, of course, I want to know what Jesus has for me and I want to obey it, then move forward with those things in confidence. Don't just say them up here, but actually live them out because that's the standard of love that Christ is giving us, right? The way that we answer this question is going to be huge in setting the tone for our relationship with Jesus. Second, if we, uh, if we want to learn what it means to truly love Jesus, we're going to invite Jesus to help us to become like Him. When we love Jesus, we're going to pray for ourselves, asking that God would work in our minds, in our hearts, our desires and actions, so that what we know about how Jesus has told us to obey would go beyond just knowledge, and it would become our heart's deepest desire. It would be that thing that we wake up, and when you're in the shower, you're thinking about the day, and it's like, the only thing I can think about is, Jesus, what do you have in store for me? Because my heart is fully for you. All I want is what you want. That's my heart's desire, right? And the third thing is, when we love Jesus, we're going to choose obedience as consistently as we can each day. We're going to learn to take every moment captive and think about what we can do right now in this moment to obey what we know Jesus has asked us to do because we've been to church, we've been in the Word, we've heard the instructions, we've been praying that our desires would match Jesus's, and now... Here's our chance. We're going to act on it. We're going to follow through with the deepest desires of our, on our heart. We're not, and you know what? Following through, just, it doesn't mean just avoiding the bad stuff. It's like, well, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus because I never swear. So uh, clearly, I am Jesus in the flesh, right? It's like, okay, that's fine. But what about doing the good stuff, right? What about not just avoiding bad things, but purposefully engaging in doing the good things? Like Jesus commanded us to make disciples. Oh, yeah, I guess that's something I should probably get on one of these days, right? That's an action that follows through because it's a desire of our heart that we've prayed for. And if it's something that we're going to follow through on, that's evidence of love for Christ. How about loving your neighbors? How about like praying for people that you meet on the street or people that you know from the church? Whether you pray for them face to face or you don't just think about them at home, but you actually stop and say, you know what? This person's on my heart. I need to pray for them. That means that you love Jesus because you're doing something that he has asked you to do. So like there's all these bad things to avoid. For sure, I get that. But God has called us to a life not of avoidance, but engaging in a life where we follow the example of Jesus. Where he did wonderful things. And that's how he loved the Father. And that's how we show that we love him as well. You know, we're not going to do all these things perfectly. And that's okay. In these moments, there is grace for us. But if we never try, if we never engage, if we just say, I'm comfortable with where I'm at, Pastor Jeff. You know what? Just ease off. You got another thing that you got to think about here. Because this isn't Pastor Jeff's message. This is Jesus' message, right? I'm quoting him. I'm not, I'm not the, uh, the message. I'm just the messenger. And Jesus says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I, I think this is a, a heavy truth, to be honest. But it's so good because when, when I hear a verse like this, my, my heart doesn't get heavy. I don't get discouraged. But I, 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 And I'm saying that because I don't want yours to either. But I want to... I want to share with you, like, where my heart goes is I just think, 
Lord, obedience to you has been the greatest source of joy in my whole life. Has it been consistent? Has it been perfect? Never. No way. But in the moments, if I could look back at my life and say, this is where I felt the closest to God, where I felt like my life was making sense, like I was on the right track, it was because out of love for Jesus, I was obedient to Jesus. So I'm sharing these things with you as an encouragement. Man, if you want to enjoy the faith that you have the most, this is what it's meant to look like. Obedience to Jesus also means keeping his commands, right? In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other uh, disciples, they're healing people and they're preaching in Jesus' name. And the high priest gets kind of ticked off at this whole thing. So he arrests all the disciples and he throws them in jail. It says in Acts 5 that that night an angel of the Lord came and freed them from jail and said to them, go to the temple and continue to teach these people what they need to hear. So in the morning, that's exactly what the disciples did. The temple guard hears them preaching again and comes to arrest the disciples again. And they appear before the high priest again. And he says, I told you guys to never teach about Jesus ever again. And then here's their response in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Oh. So when we listen to the voices that compete with God, and this would include our own voice, our obedience is compromised. It's divided, right? Jesus' disciples, they understood this fact. So they held firm to what Christ had told them to do. And you and I are going to stand before our Lord to be judged one day. And that's not a scary thing. I, I don't mean it to be a scary thing, but it's just a reality, right? We're going to stand before him. We're going to answer to him. We're not going to answer to our friends. We're not going to answer to our employer who we've, you know, has been our authority for 5, 10, 15, 30 years, whatever. We're not going to answer to our spouse. <laughs> kind of a funny thought. Thank you. And we're not going to answer to our neighbors either. All these people who live close to us. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to answer to Jesus for the things that Jesus has told us to do. Life is all about Jesus. Pretty simple, right? So wouldn't that mean that right now, if everything is about Jesus in the future, wouldn't it mean that right now it would make the most sense for our lives to be as fully obedient to the commands of Jesus as well? It's kind of a funny thing, like when you boil it down, it's like, yeah, I guess nothing else really matters besides my obedience to Jesus. Of course, it gets really simple like that, but the thing is, so few Christians have been able, have been able to differentiate between the pressures of this world to, and to obey them and the pressures of Jesus, right? So that's why we need to talk about these things, because this world is competing to get our attention. This world wants to take authority over our lives, but we need to continue to say no. Jesus is my only authority. I'm not going to listen to the voices of other people or myself, but Christ is the only voice that matters. In Galatians 1 verse 10, it says, this is Paul say, saying this, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, if pleasing people were my goal, I would never be able to be obedient to Jesus. Isn't it funny? Like that, that tension was there. The other people who lived thousands of years ago, they understood this too. And this is the same thing that we're grappling with today. 
Jesus himself says in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, let alone three or four or five. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, for instance, in this passage, money. Or you cannot serve both God and your spouse. Your spouse is not supposed to be the number one object of your affection. Jesus is. You cannot serve both God and a career. You cannot serve both God and fame. You cannot serve both God and popularity. Like all of these things are trying to compete with the one who should have no competition. He should be the sole, uh, the sole deserving uh, person who deserves our worship for sure and our obedience. I, I think about George Massey. We go back to that story, right? And George lived to keep God's commands only. Can you imagine him and his family, they're living in Lahore, and him and his wife, they get this call on their heart that Jesus is calling them out to Manawala, to a place that's full of people who are opposing the gospel. Do you think there would have been people in his life, maybe even his own wife, I don't know, maybe he was the one and it was his wife who felt that call the greatest. Maybe they hesitated for a moment. Maybe they said, you know, I'm sure those people in Manawala need to hear about Jesus, but man, I just don't know if this is a good idea, right? In those moments, you have to choose whose voice am I listening to? Is this my voice? Is this God's voice? Is this the enemy? We need to know whose it is because only Jesus' voice is the one that we're supposed to listen to and obey. And the third thing, I think when it comes to obedience to Jesus, it also means walking in his ways, as we read there in Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. And the outcome of walking in his ways, I believe, is revealed in 1 John 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So by reading the story about George Massey's life, we see an example of someone who, who seemed to live as Jesus did. And the result was that he walked in God's ways. I think that walking in God's ways means to think about what outcomes would, would God desire and then work towards accomplishing those things, trusting in God the whole way through. It means God's heart, or it means understanding God's heart and will for our lives and deferring to his will and his heart at all times. That's what I think it means to walk in God's ways. Jesus taught us this idea of deferring to the Father. Think about what he said here in, in Mark 8, verse 34. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So walking in God's ways means taking ourselves off the throne of our hearts and putting Christ on the throne of our hearts. It means battling with the flesh. It could be something as simple as, as like Saturday night or Sunday morning. It's like, ah. I'm tired. It's been a, just a doggone awful week. I don't know if I want to go to church. That's the flesh, right? The flesh gets tired. The flesh gets weak. The flesh says, I can gain more for myself by sleeping than I can by being in the presence of God with his people on Sunday morning. Do you see what I'm saying here, friends? Like, we have to understand what is God's voice and follow that. That's his ways, so we have to deny ourselves, as Jesus says. When our flesh speaks up and says, I would rather, we have to say, but that's not what I'm going to listen to. I'm going to defer instead, Jesus, what would you 
intend for me to do. Because your will, your ways are what I desire most. When we're on the throne inside of our hearts, we insist on chasing our own desires. When Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, we insist desperately on following him. Let's go back for a moment here to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. This is the verse that we read already. It said this, Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. So this is what God says right before telling us to love him, keep his commands, and walk in his ways. So clearly he says, okay, depending on how you respond to what I am asking you to do, to the obedience that I'm asking you to follow in your life, you are also choosing life or death. You are also choosing prosperity or disaster. When we choose life and prosperity, that's another way of saying that we're choosing to walk in Jesus' ways. We're choosing to follow his will and deny ourselves. When we choose death and disaster, that's when we've said, you know what? I'm just going to give up on the soul thing here because I think that this life and all the pleasures and the luxuries that I could get right here, right now, those things are more important. And Jesus, didn't Jesus say, you know, isn't it a shame when people forsake their own soul to gain the world. We, we make these choices, right? And we have to understand the consequences. It's actually a spiritually life or death kind of situation. Being a disciple of Jesus, sold out for the Savior, fully committed to the Father, it doesn't mean that our lives here on earth are going to be free from trouble. It doesn't mean that the life and the prosperity that we're choosing is something that we're going to immediately receive and everything's just going to be A1, peachy keen, right? You know, we're entering the Easter season. What do we remember the most about Easter? We remember Christ. Remember Him dying and resurrecting, right? We remember the two. His death was a dark moment for many people, for sure. His disciples... I don't think they quite understood what was going on. They were mourning. Mary ran to the tomb. She was crying, right? So like there was this darkness and this heaviness that was around this. But his resurrection was glorious, right? So like, oh man, darkness and glory glory at the same time. Think about this, friends. In the Christian life, there is no glorious resurrection without Jesus' death. There is no redemption without Jesus being forsaken. There is no eternal glory without some temporary suffering. In Romans 8.17 it says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So notice that there's two if statements from this verse, okay? The first one is, if we are children, which means if we have received salvation by trusting in Christ alone. If that is true of you, if you have believed in Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, believing that you can only be forgiven from your sins through his death and resurrection, then you are an heir. Okay, An heir is someone who is in line to receive or inherit something from the person that they are an heir to. So God is the one who that we are going to receive from because this verse says that we are his children. We are in his family. Our inheritance comes from our dad, and that's God. So how do we know what we're going to receive from God? Well, look no further than Jesus. 
Because it says that we are co-heirs with him. So what Jesus receives from God the Father, we receive from God the Father, which is a remarkable and exciting thing. So here's the second if statement. So we we know that we are co-heirs with Christ, which means that we receive what Jesus receives. He suffered in his life here on earth, and we can expect that if we are obedient to him, we are going to suffer as well. Because that was the path that Jesus walked, isn't it? It wasn't all glory. It wasn't easy. It wasn't all roses, right? There were thorns. So he suffered, which means that if he's a co-heir, we should expect suffering too. But also, Christ was resurrected in glory and now is in the Father's presence. So, okay, so there's some tough stuff. But then there's also a lot of good so that we too as co-heirs, we will receive a resurrection one day and also glory in the Father's presence forever. It's, It's sometimes hard to keep this perspective because sometimes we get very narrow-sighted, right? Or like we we can only see a foot in front of us. We just say, this is all bad. This is really hard. I don't know if this is worth it. This sucks, right? And we just get overwhelmed because right now we see the suffering. And like obedience is going to make me suffer? I'm not sure if I'm up for that. I I didn't sign up for that plan. I just signed up for glory. But if we're co-heirs with Christ then we have to understand that both of these things are the reality for those who are obedient to God. Friends, think about this. If suffering turned every Christian away from obeying God, you and I would not be here. Someone on this planet, maybe not your parents or your friend who told you about Jesus, but someone down the line, Someone suffered and lost their life so that you could know the realities of who Jesus is. I guarantee it that there are more people who have shed their blood for your salvation than Jesus alone. Of course, it's only Jesus' blood that atones for your sins. But there are other people who have given their lives so that the message of Jesus Christ could continue on so that every one of us could receive salvation. Someone suffered in order for the gospel to be brought to you. In 1 Peter 4, verse 13, it gives us the perspective that we should have as we endure suffering. It says, instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And we can actually be glad that we get to suffer and go through difficulties because we are followers of God. I'm going to share a remarkable story in a couple weeks about people who had that sort of disposition. So this suffering now is actually what confirms that you are a partner, a co-heir, and a family member of God. That you are a co-heir of Jesus who suffered for a while but now is living in eternal glory in heaven. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ so that after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. It's true. The worst possible experiences that you could go through because of your obedience to Christ will only last a little while. I mean, think about going to the doctor, right? If you ever had to go to the doctor for surgery or a needle or like a minor procedure, you knew, "Ah, I'm not really looking forward to this. 
dentist, sorry Luke, even the dentist, we don't all love going. It's like, is he going to pull on my mouth? Is he going to put his foot on my chest? What's going to happen, right? We, it, could, it might hurt for just a minute, but the relief and the joy, we never complain about that part, do we? But it's, it's necessary to go through just a little while of difficulty so that we can experience the fullness of the glory and joy that Jesus has intended for us to have. This life on earth is just a moment in time compared to the eternal bliss and joy and delight that is yours in heaven through Jesus Christ. So we call this an Easter series. How do we connect this to Easter, right? How does this connect to Jesus? In Matthew 26, 39, it tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus was arrested and suffered immensely because of his obedience to the Father, he prayed. And he said this, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is praying, God, if there's another way, a way in which I can avoid this suffering that is imminent, I'd prefer that. No kidding, right? I think we'd all be in the same place. But then he says something like, but God, I'm giving up what I want because I insist. I insist on obeying what you want. Jesus was uncompromising in his obedience and it was for our benefit. I think George Massey understood this about Jesus because he did this too. When, when his neighbor threatened him with death on a number of occasions, he didn't say, okay, this has been fun, but I'm out. He stayed there because the call of God was actually more powerful than the threat of death. From everything that we've been talking about today, I think that the part that stands out for me the most is where Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. There's so many Christians, man, we just... There's so many of us, we say the right things. We say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. And if someone, if someone questioned me about that, it's like, of course I love Jesus. But there's so many Christians who say that, and yet, if any one of us were to look for evidence of their love, it would be actually hard to find. And that is a difficult truth. I'm not saying those things to make us feel bad, but the, the truth of the matter is like there are so many who claim all the right things, but their life actually disagrees with what is coming out of their lips. I just don't want to be that person ever. And I know that your desire is you don't want to be that person either, right? So the reason why this stands out to me is I want Jesus to know that my love for him, our love for him is uncompromising. So if we're going to say that we love Jesus... Sure, say it with, from the rooftops, whatever. Say whatever you got to do. But, but with the actions of our life and with our uncompromising obedience, we say much more than we could ever say with our lips. I want Jesus to know that there's nothing that will ever stop us from loving him. Jesus revealed to us that love and obedience are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. So because of that, I just, before this church and, and before everyone who, who hears this online, like, I just want you to know that my desire is to be fully uncompromising. Like, to never, ever have an excuse for anything that Jesus asks me to do. 
I might not be perfect at it, but my desire is to be fully loving God by fully obeying God. And I hope that that's your desire too. Let me pray, and as I do that, we'll get set here for our closing song. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have called us to love you. And I'm I'm glad that love isn't ambiguous. It's not just some lofty concept where we can just say, oh yeah, for sure, we love Jesus, and we know a couple of facts about him, and I don't really know what else beyond that. But you've actually called us something so much more beautiful. Something so much greater where our love is actually manifested in our life as we obey. Father, I just pray that in this church, in this congregation, you would help us to understand that as we know more about you, that's where obedience can flourish. As we pray and seek the desires of your hearts to to be the desires of our heart, that's where obedience can flourish. And as we're given opportunities to follow through on everything that you're asking of us, and we say in those moments where there's pressure, but we say in those moments, yes, Jesus, I'm going to obey you right here, no matter what it costs me. That's again where our love for you gets to flourish. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made this so clear for us this morning. Amen. Mm -hmm.